It's time for Heatwave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. It's a wonderful Sunday night in Las Vegas. It's a Father's Day Sunday for you. Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Ways you can listen to the show every Saturday and Sunday night, 10 o'clock, right here on Fox Sports Radio. Tim Unglesby, Damon Cotton with you in Las Vegas and in New York City. Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com, hashtag SGN. Tom, happy Father's Day. How, how was the day for you? Ah, absolutely fantastic day. How about you, Tim? Yeah, can't complain. We did the the prerequisite uh, lunch. We did the lunch this time, and I got a I got a nifty gift, Tommy. I got so Fourth of July weekend. I will be in Anaheim, and I'll be watching the best team in Major League Baseball, the Baltimore Orioles, take on the second best team in baseball, Tom, the Anaheim Angels. I'll be there to watch a couple games. So that was my gift from my family. Ah, that's pretty great. That's pretty fantastic. I'm telling you, I'm hurting all over, Tim. I, I'm I'm in pain today. We went to a driving range, then to mini golf, then to bumper cars, and then to a batting cage. Oh, and wow. you know, my mind is there, right? I feel like I can hit a 140 balls, a bucket of 140, then go play mini golf in 90 degree weather, and then hit some bumper cars, and then you know, hit about 120 uh, fast pitch baseballs. I feel like my mind was there, and I was able to do it, Tim. I got through it. Uh, I'm feeling it now. <laughs> my my hips, my torso, it's just uh, not something that, that I normally do. I am going to feel it all night tonight, uh, but it was absolutely worth it. Using muscles that haven't been used in, in a while, huh, Tom? Yes. Well, <laughs> I, I'm not a golfer, you know, so the driving range, uh, you know, hundred bucket, 140 balls, I'm not a golfer at all. That that got me uh, already. Now, look, I had a couple of nice shots. Banking it off of the 200 sign, you know, dead center was pretty nice. So I had a couple of nice shots. Um, I, I'm not blaming the mini golf. I'm not blaming the bumper cars. It, it's the sport that I love. It's baseball. Yeah. I, you know, hitting an 85 to 90 mile per hour fastball, you know, over 100 times uh, taking those swings. And you got to, you know, you got to be serious about it. You got your kids watching, you know, and I'm I'm trying to rip them, and I I did really well. I felt good about it, but yeah, my back is uh, it's going to be in a little bit of pain for a couple of days here. <laughs> and I know you, Tom. You're not a medicine man, so you you will tough it out. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not one of those people that run to the Excedrin, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Now, all in all, good day. I think. Uh... Usually, usually we take the weekend off, but I felt with everything going on, you know, we could end the day talking sports and, and uh, interesting day, interesting day. And before we even jump into the playoffs, you know, last night you had kind of teased that we were going to bring up the show's most hated enemy, Aaron Rodgers. And I think we got to start off with that because people were asking about it. They're like, oh, what's Tommy going to say now about Aaron Rodgers? What did Aaron Rodgers do? Well, well, Tom, I think, without speaking for you, I think Aaron Rodgers did what exactly what he is. He's he's Aaron Rodgers. It's what he did. He's himself. Yes, he is. And, you know, it, it's pretty funny because even our buddy Rob, who um, is has given me some gruff over the years about my treatment of Aaron Rodgers, and, and I get it. Look, guys, there is a modicum on this show and as any radio host of, okay, maybe I've gone too far, right? There's always that. Do I, over the course of the last 10 years, believe that I've treated Aaron Rodgers fairly? I do. Do I believe everything that I say about Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, I do. Is there a, a, a 5% little chance there or a 5% overboard that I've gone also at times? Maybe, maybe so, but not today. I'm sitting here smiling ear to ear because of what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. My argument has always been almost muddied in the water about Aaron Rodgers because how people want to believe who Aaron Rodgers is as opposed to who he is. I've never once 
sat back and said Aaron Rodgers is a bad football player. Never. I've never said anything like that. That's a silly statement. It's ridiculous. What I have said is that Aaron Rodgers is the, the reason for the Packers not succeeding as much as he is for them succeeding. Aaron Rodgers is massively overrated. And Aaron Rodgers is a guy that is just not a leader and just not a winner. I've called him a perennial loser. He is that guy. And to me, the people that understand sports, you have to understand Aaron Rodgers is a loser. He has one Super Bowl ring. Now, hey, you can say, Tom, you know what? One ring gives you a win. You know what? Your argument holds some validity if it came from anybody else. You can't compare Aaron Rodgers to Tom Brady. No, no, no. Not with only one ring. Not with multiple MVP championships and just that one ring. And we have to hold Aaron Rodgers accountable in the same way that we held Peyton Manning accountable. Peyton Manning was a guy right up until his second ring that, well, you know what? He only has one. He's only got one. And then we have to go back even further through Aaron Rodgers and ask, how did he get that ring? And sure, the Super Bowl is all anybody remembers, but I remember more than that. I remember the fact that Aaron Rodgers, in order to get that ring, had to go into Chicago and faced a third-string quarterback named Caleb Haney and barely won. Aaron Rodgers had a horrific game, a terrible second half in that game, and they won by a touchdown. His defense won that game. Yeah, you know, you can say, well, yeah, but he was so good. No, no, that's how he got there. That's how he got his one ring. Now, you could go and look at the, the failures and find excuses. Well, he didn't have a defense here, and he didn't have an offense there, and he didn't have a running back here, and he didn't have this there, and he didn't have that there. And he did. And you could find a million different years for a million different reasons. And when Mike McCarthy was fired, it was, oh, well, here we go. He was the reason. And everyone talks about a defense. And people just seem to forget that Aaron Rodgers' offensive line is traditionally graded inside the top five. And Aaron Rodgers' numbers, they look sparkling. But what do I always say, Tim? One of the reasons why Aaron Rodgers' numbers look just tremendous is one of the reasons why I'm anti-Aaron Rodgers. And that is, the man won't take a chance because it doesn't look good in the back of his football card. He won't take a chance as opposed to his predecessor and Brett Favre, who used to take chances all the time. He would rather take a sack, make his offensive line look bad, than to attempt an, a, a downfield pass that might get picked off, but it might end in a touchdown. He would rather throw it into the third row and blame the offensive coordinator for a bad play call as opposed to hitting that very tight window that we know Aaron Rodgers has the ability to do. Aaron Rodgers is massively gifted. He's got a two-cent head. Throughout my broadcasting career, I have watched countless players tell, uh, not only this show, but tell other shows, tell uh, other programs, and tell different variations of other play programs. He's a bad teammate. You know, he's a tough guy to get along with. You don't only have to look to his brother. Yeah, he doesn't get along with his brother. doesn't get along with his parents. Okay, you know what? That happens. We've all had problems with family. Doesn't get along with his wide receivers. Doesn't get along with coaches. Doesn't get along with his general manager. Doesn't get along with tight ends. Yeah, these are all things, guys. This is all Aaron Rodgers' problems. And in another sport, could you be a shortstop and this be a problem? Yeah, absolutely. Could you win championships with it being a problem? Yes, it can. Could you be a, a winger? Could you be a defenseman? Could you be a, a point guard and have these sort of issues? Yes. Could your team get past them? They could. To be a quarterback in the NFL, you've got to be a leader of men. And Aaron Rodgers has all of the attributes that you want in a quarterback. Tim, he's not a leader of men. And as a matter of fact, he's the other way. He's a detriment to his team when you're talking about his two-cent head. And obviously, as the season progress uh, it's getting here very very quickly tom you know we're i think i saw the hall of fame games coming up real shortly when you look at 
where his positioning stands with Green Bay right now. That that's an issue, and I guess today the big news wasn't, and it's pretty sad that this is a news story that Aaron Rodgers renewed his membership of the Green Bay Community Golf Club or whatever you want to call it that has Packer fans all up in arms saying that he's coming back. You know, is he grandstanding himself to put himself available for Week One now? Does he know maybe that he's not moving anywhere, or is this something to where he just wants to keep his name currently active? Okay, I said, um, is this a, a grandstanding issue with, with Aaron Rodgers that he just needs to keep that name active, or is it more that, uh, you know, the big story today was that he renewed his golf membership at the Green Bay Country Club. Like, that's going to keep him there. You know, is it, he's just keeping himself active, or does he kind of realize that maybe he needs to do something if he wants to be playing somewhere week one? Well, you know, I, I think with Rodgers here, Tim, it's, you know, he has no choice. And he finally kind of went against the bully, uh, and the bully uh, maybe may in this case being Green Bay, but Aaron Rodgers was the bully. And he thought, if I whined and complained and pouted enough, <laughs> you know, I could get out of Green Bay. And Green Bay saying, uh, no, you have a contract, and we don't believe at your age and the point of your career that you're going to miss a year. We're calling your bluff. You know, that's exactly what they're saying to Aaron Rodgers. We are calling your bluff, Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, basically the bully got pushed back here. You know, Aaron Rodgers was pushed back on. And I think he's going to eventually have to come to terms with the idea. And what's going to happen is Aaron Rodgers is going to come out with a statement and Green Bay is going to come out with a statement and Aaron Rodgers' statement is going to come Something in the form of very delicately put, you know what, I love my coaches, I love my teammates, I love the city of Green Bay, so I'm coming back for them, and just forgetting to mention the general manager, and that should make everything okay, and Green Bay will come out with a statement of, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a a legacy, Uh, you know, he's a legend here, We, we want Aaron to finish his career here, we're happy you know, he's coming back. It'll be almost swept under the rug. But we know in the back of their heads, look, his players and teammates, his front office, and even some Green Bay fans, they're, they're going to sit back and go, Aaron, we remember what you tried to do to us. We remember that you tried to bully your way out of Green Bay, but the contract you sign is going to keep you here. And the age you have means that we could call you a bluff. If Aaron Rodgers was a spry 31-year-old, Maybe he would sit out a little while, Tim, and go, you know what? If I missed a full year, it would be something different. Maybe. But at his age, in the short window he has to potentially win one more, to change the narrative that, yes, he is a loser. And that is the word I'm using. I know Chris Wynn just wrote in and said, Tom, you can't call him a loser. He's crushing it in life. I don't know if he's crushing it in life. To me, the guy's a loser on and off the field. To me, no, he's not crushing it in life. What do you consider crushing it in life, you know, crushing it in life, not having children at his age, not having a steady relationship until recently, not having a relationship with her, with your mother and father, not having a relationship with your brother, having most friends say bad things about you, not having a lot of friends, having former teammates not like you, having your boss not like you, having your immediate colleague, work colleagues not like you. I don't think that's crushing it unless you are just somebody that looks at it and says, you're a winner if you just make money. You know, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is crushing it in life. I think he's a loser, and he's been a loser on the field. The guy is a perennial loser. Don't come at me with, you know what, well, he wins 12, 13 games. You're right, but you know what? He's a loser because he's got probably the most talent of any quarterback maybe in the history of the NFL, and he's going to walk away from this game not even being mentioned in the same breath with the elite because he's got one ring, comes up very small in big spots, which he did last year once again, and he'll never be considered those very elite. He'll never be considered by any NFL fan as the best. And that's what Aaron Rodgers strives to be. So that goes back more onto his quote-unquote loser ways that Aaron Rodgers is losing in life. He's losing because he's difficult He's a difficult guy to get around. He's losing because he lost sight of what mattered most, and that's the fans and his teammates. And he's going to go down in the history of the NFL. We won't feel it now, Tim, 
But in 10, 15 years from now, our kids are going to turn around and look at us and say, Aaron Rodgers, how could he be so talented, Dad? How could he be the most talented quarterback ever? And he only won once. And the answer is going to be, well, son, because <laughs> he was a jerk on and off the field. If Green Bay's stance is, we don't want to move him, right? And we know there's there's uh, problems between the GM and, and Aaron Rodgers, which Aaron Rodgers, by the way, indirectly goes through somebody else to say that he can't even come out to say it himself. But is it that the Green Bay front office doesn't feel they can get a return worth what Rodgers' value would be? Or is it a matter of that he wants to draw this out because he knows that Jordan Love had a good OTA and he, they feel comfortable right now that they can move in that direction, that they want to just hang Rodgers out to dry here, Tom? Is that the Green Bay front office stance, you think? And if that is the case, you know, the the name that I keep hearing popping up is the Denver Broncos. It's very, very, very interested in uh, him or Deshaun Watson because they don't think Drew Block is the answer right now. Why not make that move? Denver could probably, in their minds, think that maybe they're shortchanging him. I'm not sure. It's it's uh, it's really an interesting situation here with really under three months left before the first game. Here's the thing. Green Bay is in a no-win position if they, if they trade Aaron Rodgers. I don't care what the return is. They have to trade Aaron Rodgers, and they had to turn around and say, if Aaron Rodgers is traded this year, the fan base will, will just destroy you, and it doesn't matter what kind of return it is. First of all, if they were going to seriously take, take this into consideration, they had to do it before the draft, right? So they could hype these guys up and go crazy, and that's great. But they also have to believe that Jordan Love is completely ready. Now, Aaron Rodgers is there. If Aaron Rodgers comes into the season, okay, and has to play this year, there's only really two outcomes that happen with Aaron Rodgers. Both of them favor Green Bay. Either one, Aaron Rodgers plays fantastically, an MVP level again, okay? Uh, Green Bay gets a lot of wins, potentially a Super Bowl push. And then next year, you know what? Two-time MVP, but now aging Aaron Rodgers, he'll fetch more than he does today. And they can get a massive contract back while they sit back and let Jordan Love once again, all year, learn, sit back, watch, and grow. Or Aaron Rodgers comes out, and he looks terrible. And he has a bad year, which the regression before last year's MVP started to look like that was where Aaron Rodgers was going. His, his skills declined. He started to go downhill. Maybe he gets hurt. Maybe he just doesn't perform great. Well, then Green Bay has a much easier PR stance to kind of get rid of Aaron Rodgers. Look, guys. He wanted to go last year. We let him hang around. You know, we tried to get to to make him stay, but he still wants to go. The package won't be as much uh, as much to return, but fans will kind of accept it. Aaron Rodgers has painted himself into a corner where anything but a Super Bowl this year, Aaron Rodgers turns around, and he's not the fan favorite. He's not the guy, and he comes out of this PR campaign, and he puts this tainted stain on history that Aaron Rodgers is a selfish guy. And unless he goes out there, and he certainly can, wins an MVP and wins a Super Bowl, Tim, if he does that, Aaron Rodgers uh, can do no wrong. Anything short of that, Green Bay fans are going to go, fine, you don't want to play for us? You know, you're counting how many days. Remember the interview when he started counting? Oh, I, I, I only stay in Green Bay 178 days a year. How, what do you, why are you counting that? What, what are you doing? He will lose a lot of the fan base, and maybe Jordan Love comes in, and maybe Jordan Love isn't Favre and Rodgers, of course, but maybe he can just carry the torch, and you get a nice return back. Where do you put the odds that Rodgers just says, screw it, I'm sitting here until you move me? Zero percent. Okay. I don't believe that even Aaron Rodgers' massive, ridiculous ego is stupid enough to do something like that. I don't believe that. Because if Aaron Rodgers sits out while under contract, he's basically saying, I demand a trade. Which, if you realize, he's never said. He's never gone out there and actually said, I demand a trade. Because he knows he'll lose the Green Bay fan base that way. So he's letting speculation be. He's wearing t-shirts like, I'm offended. He's making a mockery and a joke of the whole situation. Because that's who he is. He's a joke and he's a mockery to himself. 
So this is what he does. He's in Hawaii, then he's laughing it off. I was there on vacation. Aaron Rodgers is that kind of guy where he's looking down upon the fans of Green Bay. He thinks he's better than you, thinks he's smarter than you. And you're a punchline, Green Bay fans. You are the punchline to Aaron Rodgers and his little inner circle of these little elite, you know, uh, what we'll call them uh, uh, millennial friends, right, sitting around at their dinner party are mocking you and your fandom. And, you know, we're starting to realize that. And even Green Bay fans are starting to realize that. But, Tim, for him to actually hold out, that small little whispers around the private dinner table about, you know, making fun of the fans and ha, 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 watch what we could do, that becomes a bullhorn megaphone. And all of a sudden, Aaron Rodgers is shouting from the rooftops, I don't like you, Green Bay fans. I don't like Green Bay. And I never did. And Tim, that's a blemish on his legacy that he will never be able to correct. Yeah. Zero percent. He's not playing week one. What's the percentage that Green Bay moves him before week one? I, I don't think there's any chance. I, I can't imagine... If they didn't do it during a season where, uh, you know, the the trades were as fruitful as we've ever seen. There was more trades during the draft than I ever remember. More trades about the draft, even before the draft, than I ever remember. Than I ever remember. Uh, if you didn't do it then, it doesn't help them now. If you went out and you made a trade and you got, let's just say, for Aaron Rodgers, you got three first rounders, two this year, one next year, you would be able to be talking about those guys and you'd give your Green Bay fan base enough time for it to sink in. You'd give them six months or whatever, five months to get adapted to, okay, we got Jordan Love, but we have, um, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner and we got Pitts, right? So we got Pitts, we got, uh, you know, uh, the Heisman Trophy winner, lined up with Jordan Love, get excited about the new direction of the Packers and you'd be able to handle it. If Aaron Rodgers went for three firsts in 2022, doesn't make any Green Bay fans feel better about 2021, right, Tim? Doesn't make them feel better about the product that's on the field, coming on the field in just a couple of days here, like 80-something days. No, it doesn't make them feel any better. So I think the timing tells me that absolutely not. They will not be moving him. No, I, I get a 0% chance that Aaron Rodgers is playing for another team on week one in either scenario. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't trade him during the year, and it doesn't mean that he's not gone after next year, but I put a 0% chance that Aaron Rodgers plays for anybody in week one than Green Bay. We start tonight's show off with Aaron Rodgers, the loser. When we come back from the timeout, we'll talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. They're going to join the list tonight, Tom. Losers as the Atlanta Hawks move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. We'll look at that. We'll look at game one of the Western Conference Finals. All after the timeout, it's Heat Wave Sports, a super Sunday night, a super Father's Day Sunday night, Fox Sports Radio. We sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Listen, we talking about practice. Not a game, not a game. Not, not, not the game that I go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby. Game 7, Eastern Conference Semifinals. Just wrapped up a little bit ago. And Tom Barton, you know, everything we joked about at the beginning of the playoffs... What if we had all these different matchups? What if we saw Milwaukee and Utah play in the finals, right, Tom? What if, what if Atlanta, who everybody had losing to the Knicks in the first round, what if, what if they were there against the Suns? Well, that very well could happen, Tommy. Game 7 goes down in Philly tonight, and the Sixers, the ultimate choke job as the number one seed in the East. They lose Game 7, 103-96 on their home court. And kind of how we broke this game down last night, right, Tommy? The, the, not, not the Stars. Look, Trey Young, 40, uh, 21 points. He didn't get the 30 like I thought. 
and Embiid had 31 and 11. He, he played well with the the uh, alternate storylines we talked about. It's like came to fruition, and I'm talking about Ben Simmons and Kevin Werder. Those those guys made the difference in this game for me. The Hawks move on in a huge upset. Tim, it's time to end the experiment. You know, and I said it last night. One game does one game matter? And we got. You know, some some mail last night, and one of the guys that listens all the time moved out to Vegas. He's from Philly. He listens to the show constantly. He's listened for years. He hit me up, and, and then I got one of his friends wrote me, and they said, you know, Ben Simmons is better than you guys think, and, and they'd keep Ben Simmons over Embiid. How are you guys feeling today? Right? Mm-hmm. Hit me up over at, at Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter, 876-1340. Yeah, jump, jump on board. How are you feeling today? Because I would tell you that I called it, but we called it, right? I mean, the experiment is over. The process has failed. When you look up and you looked up at that game, the game was tied 64-64, Tim, and Trey Young was one of 14. Yeah. One of 14. Trey Young had a horrific game when all is said and done. Terrible game. Atlanta still won, and they won handedly. Why? Well, Embiid did well. Who who didn't do well? Ben Simmons couldn't make a basket. He literally could not make a basket. And I'm I'm not joking. We were joking around in the pool. Went to the pool today after after all the activities I did. Um, and my son is making backwards dunks and stuff in the pool uh, on the basketball net. And I said, "Wow, you look better than Ben Simmons." I mean, he couldn't make a dunk, Tim. So things Ben Simmons can't do. He cannot hit a three pointer. He can't hit a mid range jumper. He can't dunk the ball, and he can't hit free throws. So what do you have? You have a glorified last man off the bench defensive replacement, and the process is broken. The process is over. You've got to break this entire team up. The only people standing left should be two or three guys surrounding Embiid. This was a pathetic display by Philadelphia. I didn't take any money on them. Okay, you guys know about my futures bet where I have either Milwaukee or the 76ers to win the East. So I, I lost uh, with Philly there. I still have Milwaukee. So I didn't have any rooting interest there. I don't particularly like Philadelphia. I've had Larry Hughes on my show quite a few times and whatnot, but I don't particularly like Philadelphia. I don't root for or against them. Um, I do like Embiid, but I don't root for or against them. This is an impassioned plea as a fan of the sport to break this thing up because continuously rolling this out there and watching the way they went up. Tim, I could swallow the pill if Trey Young, you know, had a fantastic night, put the team on his shoulders, scored 47, well, 45, you know, went 45, you know, 7 and 7, and it was just the Trey Young show. Or if Embiid just couldn't quite get it going, he was banged up and he was laboring out there. No, you could accept that. You were beat by a better team that night. There's not a person alive. Sorry, Hawks fans. Not a single person alive that could convince me the Atlanta Hawks are a better team than Philadelphia. The problem is that Philadelphia's number two, Ben Simmons, is just not a two. He is a, a liability at best right now in this point in his career. He's a liability. He needs a change of uniform. He needs a change of direction. He needs a change of offense. Maybe you could rejuvenate this guy's career. Maybe. But I've sat back and tried to find the good of Ben Simmons. Tonight highlighted all the bad. You had said last night that, you know, if Ben comes out, puts up double-digit points, double-digit boards, puts him ahead, gives him a better opportunity to win the game. Tommy took four shots, and he had 13 assists. So last time I checked, you don't need a 6'11 point guard you need him to put the ball in the hole and facilitate down low and help out Embiid. It just looked like he's scared. You know, is that safe to say? He's scared to be in the big big moment, dude. I don't even know where the way to put it. Tim, because he can't make a shot. I mean, we watched that. People are going out there and making fun of Giannis not wanting to get to the line because he's got his, his problems you know, at the line. Simmons can't handle the ball. He doesn't want to look at the ball. He's He is absolutely afraid. He's lost in this offense. Look, Ben Simmons is a square peg in a round hole right now. I mean, that's just what it is. He is a complete and utter mismatch 
for what team he's on, what offense he's on, the players that he's running with. It is a disgrace to watch something fall apart the way that it did. And Ben Simmons is the guy to blame tonight. About Atlanta, ulterior pieces. Kevin Werder, the two-year pro out of Maryland. Tommy, another big game tonight, 27 points. And the bench. Gallinari coming off the bench has been big for Atlanta in the playoffs. He outscored the Sixer bench by himself. Those two guys, obviously key roles in Atlanta winning the first two rounds. They had to have somebody. You know, they had to have somebody because, Tim, you know, Trey Young was bad. I just mm-hmm. don't think people are understanding. When your star player, your big scorer is 1 of 14, and it's tied 64-64, that is unbelievable. And you said it looked Atlanta got some contributions from, from secondary players because they had to tonight. And that's the thing. Look, in a Game 7, we've seen it happen in all sports constantly over and over. And in all sports constantly over and over, we've looked up and we've seen those secondary players. You highlighted this to a T last night. You highlighted secondary players. I highlighted Ben Simmons. And we nailed this to a T last night. And, it, you know, it came 100% to fruition directly in our faces. Atlanta got contributions from their secondary players in a way that I don't think Atlanta could have imagined. And Philadelphia leaned on their number two guy, their max contract guy. And he crumbled and fell. Trey Young, 5 of 23, 2, 11, two for 11 from the three-point line. He finished with 21 points. And, and like you said, just um, not the game. And, and this could have been very well, Tom. The Sixers win this. All the blame goes to, to Trey Young at that point. He gets, he, gets a, he gets a pass, basically, because they win. Whereas on the other side, you said it, Ben Simmons is now the GOAT, right? Not the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT as far as just... You, you leave him out there, and Embiid said in, a post, in the post-presser, he thought one of the key points in the fourth quarter is when Ben Simmons passed up an open shot and they got nothing out of the deal. I, I think he took a shot at him, and like you said, you got to blow it up, and now you really do when your star player is taking shots at your other star player. Well, he has to. You know, at this point, it, <laughs> you got as close as maybe you could get. I, I would say that it's a fair assessment to say that um, Joel Embiid basically had an MVP season this year. Right. Um, uh, if he was not banged up, he would be right there for potentially winning the MVP. He's not going to win it, you know, and he's not even going to finish where he probably should. But yeah, you have that kind of MVP season. You have a season where the Brooklyn Nets have been eliminated. You have basically to just win one game against Trey Young to finally get to a point where in your career you've never gotten to, and you lean on the second guy to do something, to do anything, and he's just completely vanished out there. I'd be really frustrated if I was him. So for the Eastern Conference final and the right to go to the, the NBA finals, it's going to be Atlanta and Milwaukee. I don't know how many people had this matchup, Tom. This For, for us guys, the 80s basketball fans, the 90s basketball fans, you, Chris, and I, we would have loved to see this Atlanta-Milwaukee situation back then, but now we get it in 2021, and this game will, or the series will kick off Wednesday. Tommy, already Milwaukee an eight-point favorite in game one. And I expect Milwaukee to dominate this series. You watch what hurt uh, Atlanta, and what really hurt Atlanta was the the inside play. Right, I mean, the inside play in the paint, they were not able to stop Embiid. He had his way, all except for the one game where he really was obviously limping around and injured. They had their way inside. Where does Giannis live, man? He lives inside. I expect Giannis to have massively huge games. I'm not going to call for a sweep here, Tim, but it wouldn't shock me to see a four-game right-in-and-out sweep. I don't think Atlanta stands a chance. Now, if you're an Atlanta fan, guys, I thought you were going to lose to the Knicks. Okay, so me betting against you and picking against you is a good thing. Um, But I I just can't imagine that Milwaukee gets this close after they've been building this for this many years. And they have one of the top five players on the planet, Giannis, getting this close to his ultimate goal. I don't think Atlanta and Trey Young stand in their way. So you like Milwaukee, what do you think, five, four? I, I, I really want to take four, Tim, but it's very difficult 
to sit back and pull a, a full sweep nowadays. I'll take the gentleman sweep, and that's five games. Yeah. What are you yeah, going like, with, Tim? I like Milwaukee in five as well. It's it's and you know what Atlanta is a great story. They're not supposed to be here. They're young and upcoming. They you know literally your coach is gone in the, in the, during the season, and I think Nate McMillan's done an excellent job in even getting him into the uh, into the playoffs. They had a nice run to to sweep into that five seed. I had him out against the Knicks. You know I had him out in this series against the Sixers, and I have him out in Milwaukee. I think great story, but it, it ends here and. You know, you're going to put it up to, if you're the Atlanta Hawks and you're an Atlanta Hawks fan, you got to give them a solid, I'd give them a solid B for the season, B, B, B minus, and, and we'll just say, hey, let's build off this. But you're right, you're playing a team that's, we talk about these windows all the time, right, Tom? And they've been building towards this moment. They got the, the proverbial new monkey off their back, which was the Nets at the time. And now they have an opportunity to go back, go into the finals, and I think that you'll see why Giannis is the MVP, right, Tommy? He's gonna he's gonna put on a show. Yeah, he absolutely is, and, and that's the thing. Uh, you know, it's just a matchup situation here, guys. Uh, you know, say what you want about it; it is a matchup situation that you turn around and you look at, uh, at how badly that these teams match up. Look, the Hawks can beat you in a new, number of ways. Uh, Milwaukee's defense is not what Philly's was, but they match up well. They match up really well. And I wouldn't be surprised if they took the the understanding and they took the approach here, Tim. Um, uh, that And you see them do this with star players every now and then. You have two approaches. We're going to stop him with everything in our being. We're not going to let him beat us. And then you have the other approach of, all right, whatever, shoot your heart out, and we're still going to beat you. Um it seemed like Philadelphia tonight and at portions of the series were going with the, well, you know what, no matter what happens, we're going to make sure that you don't beat us. And it didn't seem to work. I wouldn't be surprised if Milwaukee said, hey, Trey Young, you want to, you want to throw up 40 every night? We don't care because you're still not winning. Mm-hmm. And we saw game one of the Western Conference Finals earlier this afternoon. So you had no Paul, no Leonard. Phoenix Suns coming off extended rest, Tom. The Clippers coming in off of a uh, series against Utah where they, they took them out in the last two games to move in here. And uh, we were kind of looking the other way with the Clippers, and it was a close game until the Suns just pulled away in the fourth quarter. What happened in this game? Just too many three balls by the Clippers. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, look, uh, there's a built-in excuse here, isn't there, Tim? Are they going to automatically go to the built-in excuse? That they didn't have their guy out there, or they just played? No, that that they no. I uh, well, I guess they have two. No, that they don't have that guy out there. I mean, that's going to be the prevailing thought in the locker room. You don't want to say it, and I don't think the Clippers will say it. But they're going to turn around. They're going to say, you know what? Look, Devin Booker went crazy, which didn't I call that last night? I said Booker's going to hit forty. Devin Booker went crazy. Our guy had a great, really good night in Paul George, um, but we didn't have our guy. We didn't have our team leader. We didn't have Kawhi out there. Now, the Suns could say, well, we didn't have Paul. But it, it's a solace to the Clippers to say, oh, we, didn't ha- we didn't have him. We just played. We were on the road. We didn't have our guy. And we only lost by six. We had, we had an opportunity in this game to win this game. You know, after three quarters, the game was tied, Tim. Right? Yeah. It was tied going into the fourth quarter. Well, that's when Kawhi would make his presence known. I mean, it is a built-in excuse. A lot of it is coach speak, but there is some validity to it. If I'm standing on the Clippers locker room, and I, if I'm a Clippers fan today, I'm saying the same thing. All right, look, seven-game series. We lost game one on the road without, without our best player. Okay? And we lost it going into the fourth quarter. The game was tied. So we, we knew we could hang with them. I don't expect Devin Booker to get 40 every night in this series. And I expect Kawhi uh, to hopefully come back and kind of lead the charge here. But even if he doesn't, we know we could play with this team. We know we're going to be right there, even with Paul George leading the way. And Paul George looks as good as he's ever looked in a Clippers uniform right now. There are positives to come away with this Clippers series. The reality to me is the Suns are the better team. The Suns have been the better team. The Suns control the series right now. And I don't know when Kawhi's coming back, right? It, we don't know. But Phoenix has Devin Booker. 
Devin Booker is a superstar in the making, and he's able to kind of spread his wings a little bit with CP3 gone. Yeah, Booker 40, 13, 11. I want to talk about the, the play of just, uh, we talk about number one draft picks, right, Tom? And, and Ben Simmons was one number one overall. What about DeAndre Ayton, and also a number one overall draft pick? 20 points, uh, 14 boards, big game down low. And, and really, when I look at Phoenix and I look at Utah, right? And you and I both love Ruby, Rudy Gobert so much. When you look at these two teams, can Phoenix sustain and hope that Aiden can continue to play this way? Because I think when you look at how the offense has rolled with the Clippers, 47 three attempts today, and they're going to be able to take more threes because you're going bigger down low, right? You saw the same thing with the Utah Jazz series. Can Aiden sustain this? And do you think that if it was... Um, just like the last round, will the Clippers be able to expose the Suns' perimeter defense? I guess that's what it's going to come down to as the series gets later and later. Well, you asked me about Aiton, and I'll tell you, my eyes were really woken up about him and how good defensively he is. When you looked at him against Jokic, and, and I made this a best bet on our Sports Garden show, hashtag SGN, during the year. Um, when he went up against Jokic, he struggled. The Joker struggled every single head-to-head matchup. Struggled to a point where... I was betting the under on on points for him because he just couldn't kind of figure out uh, how to how to get out of that defense. And I said, you know, sometimes a defensive player, you know, that has a great one-on-one kind of setup like that, they get overlooked a little bit. And I feel like he has. He's been overlooked a little bit in the grand scheme of things. And when you turn around and you sit back and you say, yeah, you know what? He can maintain this. He can maintain this because I watched him maintain this game after game and through the series and in the playoffs against guys like the MVP of the league. So I do think he can maintain this. And you're right. The Clippers know it. And that's why they're hoisting up 53 pointers, right? They, they know that they're going to have to get those to fall. And it, I mean, it's that simple. It's going to come down to when the Clippers win one of these games. And I, I do think the Clippers will win at least one, probably two. When the Clippers do win one of these games, it's going to be because those three balls are falling. Where tonight, they just didn't fall. So game two will be Tuesday back in Phoenix. Six. Suns are favored by six, Tom. Obviously, Leonard looks like a no-go in game two as well. I I think it's a tough line to take. I think six is a a tough line to go near. Um, I expect Phoenix to win. I think they're the better team. I expect Phoenix to win the series, obviously. I said that also. I think they're the better team. But something sits badly with me about laying six in a game that just ended on six. And like you said, you know, you, you could sit back and talk about all the positives of Phoenix and, and kind of just sit back and drool over what Phoenix did right and how good Phoenix was. And, and I'm going to go, you know what? A lot went wrong for the Clippers as well. I mean, a lot didn't go right. Tim, they lost by six. They were awful hit shooting from three, but they didn't have any problem shooting those threes. If they hit one or two more, you know what? They win this game. <laughs> right? I mean, one or two more threes, uh, they're right in this thing, and they might win it. And uh, from a betting perspective, they're going to win for you. So I don't like laying the six. If you gave me even money, if you gave me minus four, I'll say, okay, maybe Phoenix. I think six is a little rich for my blood. Yeah, it's like you said, the, the game was tied going into the fourth, and at times in the fourth, it was under that number, which, what was it originally, Tom, for this game? Uh, three and a half to four. Right. So, game ends in six, you bring back game the same teams, and you have a six on there again. I, I think right now, you you have to lean with the clip show, just based on, on those variables that we put into place, and, and see if any of those guys play Tuesday night, which it looks like they're not. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the problem is that, you know, you're running the same thing back. You know, you're running it back, playing the game all over again, and, and now I got to try to beat you by more than what you just were beat by? I don't know about that, Tim. Yeah, you know, and this is where you get into, let's let's have that handicapping discussion, right? And how do you actually handicap games? And let's talk about how do you really, truly go about handicapping sports? And you have to kind of forget about what we just watched because you're going to look at it through a lens that is going to be skewed one way or the other. 
you're going to either look at this through a lens that is going to be, wow, you know what? The Clippers were right in there, just like I said. They only lost by six. Um, I, I'm jumping all over the six, but you're looking at it from that lens as opposed to, well, you know what? They won by six, and uh, you never know. Look, they, they could play a little bit better defense. They could do different things. I, I think that the line is dead on. Usually at this point in the playoffs and the playoff season, when you're handicapping a game, you had better really have conviction one way or the other. And this is why we stayed off of Philadelphia last night. This is why I told you I was staying off of this game tonight. You have to better have really good conviction one way or the other because the lines are usually inflated to the public opinion. I think the public's all over the Suns here. I think the public is rooting for the Suns. I think the public likes the Suns. The public clearly bet the Suns up today. And when you have a public team that people are rooting for and a public team that people are betting, and a public team that the number is going up as close to the game time as it gets, which means a lot of public money is coming in, that scares me, even if I think that team might win. And in other news of the NBA, <clears throat> Zion Williamson, Tom, his family, not particularly happy with the Pelicans and they think that he would be a better fit somewhere else and they're it's causing issues it's not that it's to come directly from Zion but his family is very vocal about that Tommy for a guy that has gotten better in his first two seasons he still has three years left on his deal and of course a restricted free agent in 2023 so uh, unhappiness with these superstars man they just don't want to be on losing teams eh? Hey, listen, and everyone goes, well, Zion, what about the Knicks? Yeah, what about the Knicks? I mean, that's <laughs> this is a position where guys are being drafted to teams, and, and the culture nowadays, Tim, is not, okay, I'm a superstar. I could work with this team. I could work with this franchise. I could build them up. I could be the guy. I could worry about it. I can be the guy. Giannis has that. Nobody else does. Zion goes, I'm going to have a short career. I'm a big, big dude, bad knees, right? I'm going to have a very short career. I better win while I can win. Or I'm going to wind up being like a Joel Embiid. You know, win while I can win now. I have a short window. I don't want to be stuck here in this terrible you know, position where we're going to lose and I don't like the coach and I don't have a running mate. So I'll, through the media, kind of whine and complain and get myself forced out of here, go to a huge team or a big market where we can start a super team, and that's how you win nowadays. That's why the NBA product is garbage. That's why the NBA product has been garbage for a while, and that's why the NBA product is going down, ratings going down, people looking away, uh, among other things, obviously, their, their agenda uh, kind of throws it into a loop. But this is why the NBA is damn near unwatchable at times, Tim. And it's only going to continue because the guys that people like Zion Williams are looking up to have paved the way. The LeBron James, if you don't like it, whine, complain, and leave. Don't build it up. Yep. You're not going to build it up. Why and complain and leave, Tim? Isn't that the way? Durant and, and LeBron are the greatest players of our generation. That's what I'm told. Whine, complain, and leave. And that's who they look up to. And I, I obviously, I'm assuming he had a part in Stan Van Gundy being released. You, you know, when you sign a coach to a four-year deal and he lasts one season because apparently he has disagreements with his players, you know that the big guys involved somewhere in there, Tom. Yeah, and, you know, Zion's getting advice. You see it. Well, his family's not happy. He's getting advice from bad sources. One of the things that professional athletes tell me all the time is, you've got to not listen to your inner circle because they mean the best for you, but they're not the best decision makers. Now, I'm not telling you that Stan Van Gundy is a, you know, a genius at basketball, but Stan Van Gundy wasn't the reason why the Pelicans didn't advance to the playoffs this year. One more thing, we'll take the hour timeout. When you look at the coaching vacancies now that the NBA um, is doing the interviewing, you see Boston, Dallas, Portland, New Orleans, Orlando, Indiana, Washington. Those are the seven jobs right now. Which is the best job to you, Tom? If you're, if you're a guy and you could pick where you want to coach with those rosters set in place, is it Washington, Indiana, Orlando, New Orleans, Portland, Boston, or Dallas? Uh, uh, man, that is a loaded question, Tim. <laughs> I, I think a lot of outside factors have to deal with that. Um, I almost want to say Orlando because in Boston, you're playing for a, a 
coach with a revolving roster. In Portland, you might go there and lose Dame. You're going into a Zion Williams situation where you know you don't run the team. Zion runs the team. Washington is a, just a mess, and you got to deal with Westbrook, right? Um, I may choose Orlando because the expectations are down. I think they're a young, growing team, and I have some pieces in place that I could win there. The other places are sort of volatile jobs you're walking into. I know it's not the obvious answer because everybody's going to go, well, all the other teams can make the playoffs. Yeah, they are. They could all be playoff teams, Tim. Um, I'm picking the one that might not be the playoff team, but I'm picking the one that you probably have the most job stability, probably the most power to build an actual team. I would go Dallas just because you're going to lock Don't Don't up here long term, so you don't have the the, the damn situation. Maybe but there's a lot of rumors out there that maybe he wants out of Dallas, and then you got to deal with Mark Cuban, this knucklehead, you know? Yeah. Who I guess the reason why there's there's rumblings is that Mark Cuban's new analytical guy that he picked up off the street has more power than the head coach. Oh yeah. Well, that's about a, a, the right for a Mark Cuban-led team. He doesn't he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, Another another guy throws his opinions into a ring where every one of his opinions have been laughed at and proven factually inaccurate immediately after he says them, right? Um, and now he goes, oh, yeah, don't worry. He has nothing to do with the team, this, this analytics guy. And then days later, everyone's gone and people are getting fired all over the place. Clearly, Mark, he did have something to do with, it, with that, and, and that's why Luke is not happy. Days later, the longest tenured NBA head coach quits. <laughs> yeah, but 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 it was a nothing burger, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess obviously Portland and Dallas give you the best player, right? In those situations, I would go. And maybe I'm being a homer here. I would go with my guy in Boston because I think you have the best player combo there, in Brown and Tatum locked up for a while, and they're they're in a you know they're still in a win now situation, Tom, and. and Traditionally, I would think that you could do something there. And now that Ainge is out of the office, I'd be really interested to see what Brad Stevens could do. So maybe I would choose that job as the uh, if I had my pick. I think it also depends on who the head coach is. You know what I mean? Be- being me and you, or being a guy like a Nate McMillan, uh, is very different than being a um, you know a-, a new college coach or being a Becky Hammond, for example. You know, it depends on the young coach against the older coach, the experience against the non-experience. I think a lot of factors have to come into it. But in a bubble, I think there was a secure spot where you know you're going to get your team. Uh, Luke is not leaving. Don't have to deal with Westbrook. Don't have to deal with Zion. Don't have to worry about Dame leaving. Uh, I'll take Orlando at security. And, and you, like you said, look, I was going to take Boston, uh, but Boston is a revolving door. We talked about it last night. I still expect them to make another move, and I don't know what that move is today. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Heat Wave Sports here on a Super Sunday night. In Hour 2, we will talk NHL playoffs. Is there a goalie controversy in Las Vegas, or are we going to start one in Hour 2 on the way back? Also, Major League Baseball, we can review. And again, I want to get more into the, the substance issue with pitchers. I know we touched on it briefly last night. I really want to dive into that again and get Tom's thoughts on where this leads Major League Baseball in the future. Hour two, Heat Wave Sports on the way. Fox Sports Radio.